Have you ever felt the sting of witnessing someone implement an idea for a business that you had also thought of years before? Well, will you risk that happening again? Or will you invest the following hour to learn some of the steps necessary for establishing a viable business and in the process begin to overcome some deep-rooted fears of being an entrepreneur? I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America. On my life, watching America. On my life, it's panic in America. Oh, 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 it's trouble in America. From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America. Welcome to the Shark Tank, where entrepreneurs seek an investment to start, grow, or save their business. If the Sharks hear a great idea, they'll invest their own money. Who are the Sharks? They're self-made business experts worth billions. Next up is an entrepreneur seeking a chance in the tank. Hi, Sharks. I'm Dr. Alan Campbell. Oh! And I'm seeking $16 million to expand my program... Oh, no. ...called Watching America. <laughs> oh, my Lord. It's a show hosted by me... Wow! ...with the perspective of someone not born in the United States that is no, nonetheless fascinated really with American culture. How does it work? Well, it's, it's, it's a mixture of cerebral engagement, serious discussion, lots of heart, and certainly humor. This idea is poo poo. I interviewed no, various bad. persons. No, it's really bad. Who, Got anything else? Well, we have received rave reviews, and our audience is growing all the time, and, and we're getting positive feedback. Do you have What's anything this? better to show us today, or is this the top of the line? Well, we have fabulous guests. I mean, wow. for instance, my next guest is, is business expert Nancy Gurdon. Interesting idea. Yeah. She has enabled people to start businesses and to be successful entrepreneurs. Do you have accredited laboratory testing on that? Well, uh, of a sort, yes, I do. You see, she has a history of a dedicated life in helping others realize their dreams. Just listen and see. Wow! <laughs> Welcome to Watching America. It is my delight to have Nancy Gurdon as our guest. Interesting spelling, no vowel in the first part. It's G-R-D-E-N. And she is the executive director of the Strom Entrepreneurial Center at Old Dominion University in Virginia. Uh, I'm a colleague of a sort, although in a different department at the same institution. And her specialty, among other things, is educating people on how to have a business and get started and to be wise in the process and to overcome fear. Uh, she educates about entrepreneurship as a career path. Um, she addresses all manner of things from programming, marketing, legal assistance and other startup activities. She has said, among other things, you have to kiss a lot of frogs, ribbit, 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 when raising capital. And when an entrepreneur finally gets those investors, that is just the beginning 
of a long process. Nancy Gurdon, Executive Director of the Old Dominion University Strom Entrepreneurial Centre, recently received, among other things, the Marble Loyalist Award from the nonprofit organization Envision Lead Grow for her partnership and helping the organization expand its mission in breaking the cycle of poverty by creating new opportunities for young girls, a very worthy pursuit. Mm-hmm. Most of us have at one time or another seen Shark Tank, and people come in and they pitch their ideas for whatever it may be. Um, wanting to sell something you've invented versus having uh, other types of businesses, like uh, a perhaps service business, manufacturing business, they're entirely different things. But the one thing that's in, involved with all of these incidents is the hope involved in trying to persuade others to invest in what they are trying to do. In your experience, Nancy, what is your remedy to overcoming initially this fear of even entertaining the idea of perhaps going into a business? Well, I would say, first of all, I think there's a misnomer or a mistake that you must have money to go into business. And the first point I would say is before you ever think about money, raising money, putting your first personal dollar, your mom or dad's dollar, is is anybody interested in your idea? Is anybody going to buy your invention? Is anybody going to use your amazing thing? Does anybody agree in your terrific idea? So our advice is before you worry about the money, that you worry about the adoption and see whether or not there's interest. And if you look at those Shark Tank people, you actually watch them. There's a lot of questions about the market. Are there customers? Is there interest? What problem are you solving? So we always encourage people to really work on that. That's free. (laughs) That's free. That's your personal time and all the people who will talk to you before you ever spend a nickel on your business idea. So essentially, that's your business plan? Yes, and, and it's even more than a plan. You know, we, we encourage people, and the, the beauty about entrepreneurship is truly anybody can be an entrepreneur. Um, it's not just the people on Shark Tank. So anybody can be an entrepreneur because entrepreneurship is about problem solving, identifying opportunities that can be pursued or things that can be changed for the better, whether it's society, a product, an invention, does not matter. And so what we encourage people to do is something called a a business model canvas. And that basically is before you even write a business plan, that once again, you you sort of look at what opportunities are there out there? What problem am I solving? Is somebody else doing it? And by the way, just because somebody else is doing it is not a bad thing. Uh, Yours may be better, faster, cheaper, terrific, you know, two plus two equals five, that sort of thing. But you do a lot of legwork um, and you actually do some of that work, even build sort of a way to test it before you ever have to even write a business plan or before you may even have to go for that quote-unquote problem of raising money. Well, I think many people start out, first of all, saying to themselves, can I possibly do this? So what are the greatest deterrents from people getting over that initial phase of can I? Can I do it? So the first problem is pure and simple self-doubt. I'm not an entrepreneur. I don't know how to do this. I never studied business. I've never done this, I I never, never this, that. It's a lot of self-doubt often will creep in. And that's often a barrier uh, to people really sort of jumping ahead. And fortunately, there are, uh, in many communities, there are resources of one sort or another at universities, 
um, uh, the chambers of commerce. Very often, uh, women's groups, business groups, veterans groups have ways to actually encourage people to think about taking that step or finding sort of low-risk ways to take that step. But that, that's a big problem, self-doubt. What's a low-risk way of getting into a business? A low-risk way would be, first of all, if you are uh, curious about an idea, one thing you can do is, uh, and we actually advise our students often to do this too, is find a way that you can either be a customer for that product, uh, you can work with that individual, you can spend time with the entrepreneur, actually speak with him or her about their experience. So you get, first of all, a little bit of, of understanding because like anything else, the more that you understand, the less fear that you have. You begin to imagine how you yourself can do this. Then the beauty of today is there's so many ways to actually do something we call a minimum viable product, which means you can do a very simple test of your idea before you ever spend a lot of money on something. So great examples are, uh, we have many ideas very often people have for solving problems with, with websites and apps. Uh, software, all of these kinds of things. And often they imagine like this amazing, <laughs> you know, solves everything from A to Z. And you don't have to design everything from A to Z. You can design A and test A. You can verbalize A and try it out. You can do testing with customers and say, what if I had A? So there's a very simple ways to get your toes in the water, get some data, get some confidence that you're actually gonna have a support, and then you can take further steps uh, to build a product, potentially get investment, start a company, and so on. What do you advise to people who have what they consider to be a worthy, perhaps their convinced original idea, mm -hmm. and yet they're fearful of sharing it with others mm -hmm. because they don't want it to be stolen? Right, so you have the, I've got this idea, I wanna do it. But on the other hand, if I tell everybody, somebody might steal it before I get a chance to even know what I'm doing. What's the remedy to that? You have no idea how many times we hear that. Mm. And uh, it is a fallacy, I will tell you. Having been on all sides, having been one of those people who had an idea, having been one of those people investing in an idea, and having been one of those people who advise people on their ideas, the thing I will tell you is there are a million ideas in the world. And even if you and I have the same quote-unquote idea, we are imagining it very differently. We are going to implement it very differently because of who we are, what our experience is, and how we can see it in the marketplace. That's the difference. So it actually uh, is advisable to test your idea. You know, get a little feel for whether or not the average person, not even an expert, thinks that what you have has merit. Two things will happen. One is you'll get practice speaking about it articulating what it is, because very often entrepreneurs have a hard time saying precisely what, what their idea is. We often hear, don't tell people about your ideas because they will destroy it. Keep it to yourself, nurse it, make sure you work on it, but don't divulge it and reveal it to others because there are going to be naysayers in there who will be pessimistic and right. negative and destroy the idea. And yet you're saying, talk to people. I'm saying, talk to people. Think, ab think about cells in a Petri dish, right? Mm -hmm. The beauty of it is you're testing those cells, but guess what? You're in a Petri dish. It's not real. It's not the world. When you take it out of the Petri dish and I talk to people, I explore it, I get feedback. And I don't have to disclose everything. I think this is another fallacy um, because often if you're an inventor particularly, you have a discovery um, maybe in the sciences or in engineering, uh, there often is protectable uh, intellectual property. Uh, but you don't have to disclose that. You can talk generically at a high level and not say every single item that, that is protectable 
or give away a secret sauce uh, about a, an algorithm or something that you've designed, but you can still talk about it. And, and the reason still why it's important is, is again, it, it makes you, the inventor, articulate uh, what you think you have. You test the idea as to whether or not it has merit in the market, which ultimately is the true test for um, somebody who wants to start a business. Because if, truthfully, if nobody buys it, it's not a business. Um, it's a disaster or a failure or a hobby. So it allows you to get some early feedback. Uh, it helps you know whether or not uh, something is in the marketplace that you just don't know about. Or it helps you understand maybe um, a way of thinking about it that you hadn't perceived. And then last but not least, this person or this company or whoever you spoke to could actually be a partner with you and help you develop it. So, um, you know, the answer is share it. You don't have to share every detail. You certainly aren't going to disclose something that's proprietary, but you can say enough um, that, that can actually get you some help and some information on your idea. Now, I'm addressing all the fears up front first yeah. because I'm envisioning the listener with a, a litany of this could happen to me and this could hurt me and that could hurt me. And your very purpose is to overcome these things. Exactly. So that's why I'm throwing them at you. So I'm not trying to be, you know, Johnny totally negative. Totally fine. Here. Okay. One of the concerns that people have, well, if I go to somebody who's going to give me financial backing, they have money already. And if they, I tell them my idea, then they have the money. They don't need me. Fallacy or true? I would say fallacy may be occasionally true, mostly fallacy, and here's why. Many people, many investors are investors because they're investing in an idea and a team, and their goal is to support you, not take your idea from you. So it's actually important to, you used my term earlier about kissing many frogs. Uh, one of the ideas when you're raising money and you're at that stage is it is valuable to talk to a variety of potential investors because you do understand, once again, whether they see value. And it helps you hone your message, again, very important. And more importantly, uh, money is not everything when you're at the stage of raising capital. What's most helpful is money and help. So let's say that you, Dr. Campbell, you're, uh, you're, you have deep pockets, but you don't know a thing about my business. It might be great to have you as an investor because I have your money, but it's not great if you don't understand my business and you're calling me up every two minutes asking me, you know, when are you going to get a return or what happened to these customers or what, and you don't understand my business. On the other hand, if you, you do, uh, you might be a partner for me for marketing. You might have marketing expertise. You might have uh, accounting expertise. You might know potential customers for me. Uh, you may have ideas for partners. All of that is valuable along with the capital that you're investing in my company. And so part of that learning and discovery comes by again, talking to potential people who, who could invest in your company. Are there personality types that in your experience, not that you want to you know, disperse and put people to the side, but are there personality types that you can look at initially and say, this is a probable candidate who will be able to see this through and have it come to fruition versus somebody else? And what are those characteristics that you've discerned over the years? Mm -hmm. uh, well, there, there's no uh, perfect uh, entrepreneur because they, they actually appear in many ways, uh, shapes and forms. And so there, there are types that you often see that appear to be or would like to be entrepreneurs or innovators. And maybe just to touch at a high level, some of it's very intuitive, actually. Uh, no surprise, people who have great ideas, they're inventors. They're always inventing and imagining something new. They walk down the street and they see five things they would change. 
they uh, go to the grocery store and they imagine five products. They're idea people. Uh, so that's sort of one category. They're always coming up with ideas. Uh, they, they may not know what to do with them, Mm-hmm. Uh, which again is part of being an entrepreneur, uh, maybe a little sidebar, it's actually a French word uh, from uh, entreprendre, which means to undertake, mm-hmm. which means you think and do. Yes. So um, anyway, there are idea people. So that's kind of one category and they have the most amazing ideas in the world um, and, and that's one, one group. Maybe another group are really more of the, the, the super salespeople, marketing, uh, for two reasons. One is they see the world, they look at things through customers' eyes, uh, but they're able to to communicate well. And they can maybe take something that's maybe a little fuzzy or they're thinking about it and they have a way of speaking about it that's very compelling. And so they are a whole nother type of entrepreneur because they're thinking more of the external side, if you will. Then you often see maybe a third type, which are more of the managerial people. You know, they, they love to connect A to B to C to D to E. And so these are people who often maybe will see innovation in a process um, or in supply chain, which, which is also places for innovation. You know, you don't have to just invent a brand new thing. You can fix something that exists. And so you often see people like that who are truly entrepreneurs. And then there's probably another group that are simple perfectionists. You know, <laughs> they just want everything to be the most perfect, amazing thing in the world. And uh, they're going to invent it, or they're going to have it, or they're going to tell you why your thing is wrong. So all of these are types of people that you see. Uh, they have pros and cons to being an entrepreneur. And one of the secrets is, as we often say, entrepreneurship um, is a team sport. Uh, it is not an individual enterprise. And so depending on the personality type you are, the real key here is finding others to be in a team so that you share a vision, but you may you may have others who have... Uh, symbiotic helpful skills. So if you're a supermarketer and you're excellent at articulating ideas, maybe you need uh, an operator. Or if you're an inventor, you might need, once again, somebody that helps you figure out, well, how's it going to apply in the market? So the, 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 the magic of entrepreneurship is, is the teaming of the types of entrepreneurs that you might see. I think the types of stories that people mm-hmm. feel are truly inspirational are the situations where somebody's at home mm-hmm. and they're doing something with domesticity and then suddenly an idea occurs to them in, or in the workplace. A very famous example from years ago, believe it or not, related to the old pop group, The Monkees, is Michael Nesmith, or at least not he, but his mother. Mm-hmm. And she developed a formula for creating basically whiteout, which would become whiteout, uh-huh. and which I believe was picked up by IBM later. Yeah. And because she was a secretary Mm -hmm. and she was constantly retyping things. So she came up in in her kitchen with her own concoction of a white substance of some order and decided to bottle it. And she shared the idea and um, eventually sold the rights to such a thing. In particular, I would suspect, although I may be wrong, that women are a great source of wealth of ideas because of, frankly, in many ways, the way they think, uh, which is, I, I do think, divergent from how many other men think. Does it burden you and sadden you to think of all the potential women out there who are like Michael Nesmith's mother, who have an idea and feel overwhelmed because they they imagine that they're going into a male-dominant society? Mm -hmm. Does that still exist or am I talking 1980s here? Uh, Well, I I, I actually don't feel overwhelmed. I feel excited uh, about that possibility because uh, I think what's happening now more and more is, again, no matter where you live, uh, there are groups, uh, organizations, uh, specifically aimed at women, 
who really encourage them to uh, think entrepreneurially and take those what appear to be little ideas and turn them into something big. And I would add that uh, another exciting feature, particularly aimed at, at women, is we're seeing more and more programs in the uh, K through 12 levels to really encourage and empower young girls to start thinking that way. So uh, now you, it, you received an award for doing that very uh, thing. I, I did. And, and I did because I believed in what was going on in that. And I saw with my own eyes what can happen with middle school girls who, who think differently about themselves and can articulate problem-solving ideas. So... Uh, yes, we need to work with the, the, the young girls coming up, uh, but we also work with women in the home and women who are already out, out in the market and doing other things. And the, the exciting thing is, is there are resources there. And the other exciting thing is, is you can take a, what appears to be a very small thing and turn it into something big. There are many, many examples. And without naming products, I can give you food products that were, were made in somebody's kitchen. They were sold at a bake sale for the church. <laughs> they were made for the kids. And guess what? They turned into very popular things that could actually be, be commercialized and sold and made money for the, for the family. Um, I can give you service ideas, cleaning ideas. I can give you clothing ideas. There are many famous examples of that. Uh, the the uh, a social, uh, the, other, the other very exciting thing is uh, many women often work uh, as volunteers in um, not-for-profits and other community agencies, and they can solve a, a whole range of products and services in those arenas as well. So the, 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 the trick is to be able to say it's okay to take those little ideas and turn them into big opportunities. And that's where being able to have support groups, having others who can work with them, um, having socialized examples of how this can happen, uh, meeting them where they are in their own women's groups, not necessarily entrepreneurial groups, all those kinds of things can really empower women to do a lot more with those ideas. A lot of people don't venture into trying things because it's not been modeled to them. Yes. And they have not had the benefit of growing up around those who might uh, have the forethought to say, I'm going to start a business mm -hmm. and what have you. Uh, for those who are listening, who have not had a model like that, mm -hmm. what is your advocacy? What do, you, what do you say to them? So a quick story. I met with uh, not too long ago about 50 college students from all across the United States. And I was introduced as... Nancy Gurdon Entrepreneur Center, and the person who introduced me said, all right, how many students know what entrepreneurship is? Students, right? Mm, two mm. hands go up, two, maybe 50 out in the crowd, two. Wow. They, they kind of go up, not, not, and I'm thinking, oh boy, they want me to talk about entrepreneurship. I guess I'll have to start at the beginning. And then I said what I will often say, which is, I'm going to ask this question differently. How many of you in this audience have ever solved a problem for somebody fix something just in your personal life or for others or on all the uh, programs you're doing here. How many have ever done that? Guess what? Mm -hmm. All the Every hands hand go up. up. Yeah, sure. All the hands go up. And immediately, not even like, well, I don't know. I guess I'm in that. Boom, go up. At which point I say, okay, each one of you is an innovator and an entrepreneur. And you know why? Because you can solve a problem. You, you took that step. So that's my answer. It reminds me of because I, I teach filmmaking and I have students who will often say, you know, I don't have any imagination. I'm not creative. Exactly. And I'll say, did you dream last night? And they'll put their hands up and go, yes. And I'll say, OK, well, you cast the yes. characters, you produce yes. the dialogue and you set the sets exactly. in your own mind. So that untapped resource that is, is inside people. And um, naming it, pointing out to you that, that you, you have done, you have been a change agent. You, you made a change. And, and this is particularly noticeable 
uh, in people who don't view themselves as, you know, quote unquote, creative innovators, world like that. And then you listen to them talk and they will mention an example of something they did. And the minute you label it innovative or creative, it really reframes a mindset. And, and I know it's a very small step, but it does matter what you term it. And it begins a whole new process by naming it. Watching America, as far as I conceived it, is not a show just about topics. It's a show about the people who are involved with the topics. Mm -hmm. What attracted you to going into this as a topic? When was the first examples in your life when you entertained the idea of what an entrepreneur was, even if you may not have known that label at the time? Mm -hmm. Did it stem from childhood? Because I'm sitting across from you, and I don't want to sound all 60s and 70s here, but I get a very prominent vibe of concern for people, excitement, and love about what you do. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, innate when you experience that in another person. It's just, you exude that across from these microphones. Why? <laughs> well, uh, it's a, uh, there, there was no clear journey to entrepreneurship. Uh, I didn't wake up one morning and say, wow, I want to be an entrepreneur or wow, I am uh, never. So growing up, the word, I don't even know if we use the word, frankly, um, certainly we didn't use it in our family. We didn't use it in school. No one was named an entrepreneur. Uh, I didn't think people around me were entrepreneurs. But as I reflect back on my, my life, there, there's a common theme that everything I did, I, I always loved doing new things. Um, I was always leading something. And some of it was self-initiated and some of it was my teachers and my parents and people putting me in those roles. And I, for whatever reason, and I loved it. I always liked doing that. And I liked selling Girl Scout cookies. And I liked, uh, I was the oldest child, grandchild in my family. And I liked organizing my, my you know, my um, the other grandchildren in, in my family. And I liked... Um, uh, when the teachers would give me hard assignments, I enjoyed it. So, you know, all that stuff when you're little, you, you know, you just do these things. Uh, but I always had an interest in um, people. I, again, entered um, gr graduate school after undergraduate school in um, city and regional planning with the idea of what can the public sector do and what can we do from a public policy perspective to really improve um, literally life as we know it. And it could be everything from economics to uh, the ability of people to actually grow grow them their personal lives, how can we grow economies, things of that nature. Um, I always felt very strongly about that. And I realized in studying it that one of the tools I did not have was a business background. And hence I went on to get a master's in business because I felt like I needed the skills. Well, as it turned out, it's an amazing combination because you have like this view of the world and people and problem solving and global concerns and then you also learn tools for how to solve them. And I didn't realize I had a combination that I had created <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, for myself. And that really led to a number, a number of ways that I got to explore entrepreneurship. I got to explore it in government, because uh, one of my first jobs was in, at the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. We were developing new programs, which I got to do. Mm -hmm. Again, being very entrepreneurial. When I was in graduate school, we started a, a, um, a student journal for students who wanted to publish in city and regional planning that still exists today, I might add. So I'm very proud of that. Wow. I never thought of being an entrepreneur there. Uh, I uh, spent a number of years in banking in a very, very uh, tumultuous time for the industry where there's a lot of deregulation. I worked for many large banks. You worked for Amerigroup, which is now Anthem. You worked yes. for Value Operations, which is now Beacon Health. Yep. And you worked for Bank of America, just to name a few. Exactly. And, and, and in those organizations, and Bank of America was doing a very big ch a period of change. And we were um, 
launching brand new products, designing new systems, bringing uh, banks together, putting them together and merging them. I wasn't really on the financial side. I was I was on the um, everything from the marketing, you know, the culture, uh, the new product side. How do we take one plus one and make it five? You know, mm-hmm. those kinds of mm-hmm. roles. So, I, you know, I'm doing all this. Again, I never, I'm not calling myself an E. <laughs> There's no E. I'm missing an E in my name, by the way. Maybe that was, you know, yeah. part of it. But uh, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur in all those years. I'm just doing cool things and, and making, making change and exploring uh, uncharted territories and dealing with ambiguity and solving, you know, problems that people would, would just put on my lap. And then uh, I, I got into healthcare for the same reason I was in banking. It's, it's all about people. And... Once again, healthcare is a very uh, interesting time. Uh, Amerigroup certainly was, was interesting because we were bringing the private sector into public sector healthcare, uh, serving uh, Medicare and Medicaid, which was unheard of at the time. And what was interesting about Amerigroup is we were creating a market, we were creating a company, and we were um, basically taking care of people mm-hmm. <laughs> all simultaneously, a classic Rubik's Cube. So, you know, all of these experiences just aggregate over and over. And I also was fortunate to work with people who supported and wanted an entrepreneur. So I tell this because there's no clear path, number one. Number two, um, anybody can take advantage of their experiences in big companies, government, they can start, and I have started companies as well, uh, and I work with others. It does not matter, you can be entrepreneurial in all of them. But as I reflect back, the, the commonalities were just loving to take on challenge, solve problems, find new opportunities, bring people together, make the place, the world, a better place. When has been your happiest moment doing what you do? I, I have had a lot of happy moments doing what I do. Um, one of the most recent happy moments was the group that you mentioned, Envision Lead Grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I had an opportunity to work with middle school girls coming from disadvantaged communities, and I saw several young women who came, had no idea what they were getting into this camp, came to the program, learned about entrepreneurship, learned to really be able to express their own personal mission and how their personal mission can drive an idea and solve a problem and really help them be an innovator, and then watch them grow and build it over several years to a real company. That was very inspiring. And I see examples of that over and over where I can see somebody who's very young or old, doesn't really matter, but but they aren't so sure about their idea. And then I watch it blossom. That to me is the most impactful, particularly something where it's solving a community problem or it's bringing a new service or product to the market. What I hear you saying, Nancy, is that you enjoy not only seeing people build a business, but ultimately in the process, building themselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's it, isn't it? It's, it's a skill set for life. You are listening to Watching America. We'll be right back.
If you're just listening and joining us, we are watching America. I'm your host, Alan Campbell, and I am delighted to have Nancy Gurdon with us. And she is one of the most qualified people in the nation to talk about how to establish a, a business. She has what's called an MRP, which is a Master's of Regional Planning from the University of North Carolina. And then she has, of course, an MBA uh, from the University of South Carolina. I like the way you balance that out. <laughs> it's, 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 it's very, very magnanimous and uh, egalitarian of you. Um, let me ask you, how do you assess the current economy, uh, the weather, if you will, right now for entrepreneurs? What uh, time in American history do you think has been uh, not as good as this or, or perhaps better? But getting to the now, how are we doing at this moment? I would say that now is an incredible time to be an entrepreneur, uh, and that's not just a U.S. phenomenon, but a global phenomenon. Uh, you can literally look around and find examples of um, individuals, peoples, countries, ideas that have never been invented that are being invented now. Uh, change is happening so quickly, and, the, and, be, and because there's so much changing in our society, change alone allows entrepreneurship and innovation. So even if you invented something a week ago or a year ago or 10 years ago or 50 years ago, it can be, it can be reinvented in a different way or done, done, done differently. The, the tools we have at our disposal today that we did not have years ago, uh, obviously the internet, technology, social media, all of these kinds of things allow uh, an entrepreneur who in the past had to spend money. So in the past, a simple thing, you had to hire a lawyer, you had to hire marketing staff, because you didn't have the tools of the internet to, to actually do any, any kind of market discovery, find out whether your, your patent idea exists. Now you can do a lot of work on your own, you know, before you hire professionals to take it to another level. So it, it's an incredible time right now to be able to, to test ideas. And, and I think the other thing I would say is that there's a tolerance now that maybe there hasn't always been for the the version versioning you know we've gotten so uh, accustomed to saying uh version 1.0 oh, version okay. 1.1 now i know what you mean okay Ver yeah. uh, yes, right yes. so you, you don't even blink an eye anymore 2.2 5.5 mm, you know, nobody blinks about yeah. that anymore no, you know it's, true. it's okay yes uh you know years ago you, you it had to be perfect before you would put it in the marketplace so uh, we've all there, got, there were no beta versions. There were no beta versions. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, it's got to be perfect. Uh, so I think we've all gotten accustomed to the fact that there's versioning, which means that's great for an entrepreneur. You can put out version one. You can experiment with it. So you can, less than perfect, better than average. Yeah, yeah. You can you can do that now, and and I actually contrast that two years ago when I was in more traditional marketing settings where we had to try to make sure every T was crossed and I was dotted. And I'm not saying you, you shouldn't attempt to do that, but but there is more uh, ability uh, to control and learn and test, which is is very different. Uh, but but as I always point out, we should never say we're the only generation or time where entrepreneurship uh, has happened. Uh, you can go thousands and thousands of years ago and think about entrepreneurship for survival, <laughs> right? Uh, for for weapons, for food, uh, for you know. So so the, no no area has really had the, the corner on the market, if you will. But I do think it's fair to say that right now there's a lot in favor of this, which basically means it's easier than ever before. Uh, it also means it, it's easier to be copied than ever before. Uh, but but that's okay because you can continue to iterate. So, and I would also say there's a lot more resources to help you than ever before uh, to be an entrepreneur. Now, as you've been talking, I've been debating about how we should set up the next segment. 
And I was thinking, well, I could ask you, you know, step one, step two, step three. But I think it might be beneficial to role play. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to come to you as a potential would-be entrepreneurial candidate and ask you, what do I do? Okay, so uh, for lack of imagination, dearth of imagination at the moment, I'm holding a blue pen. Mm -hmm. All right. But let's suppose this is a blue pen that when you write in blue will eventually turn colors. All right. So you can write in blue and it will go to pink and green or what have you. So I come to you and I say, I have this great idea. I want you to walk me through the steps that you would suggest I would do regarding this mm -hmm. pen. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here I come, ready, knocking at the door. Come in. Hi, Nancy. I'm so delighted to see you. I've, I've heard about you. You, you are um, well-respected, not only locally, but you have a large footprint across the country and have worked for all these great businesses. I'm frankly a little bit intimidated talking to you because I, I, I've kind of got a silly idea here. But, um, well, may I show it to you? Well, but before you do that, can I just ask you a few questions about yourself? I'd like to hear a little bit about you first. Maybe, you know, just share a little bit. I'm sure. happy, to, happy to talk with you. Okay. Um, what would you like to ask me? Well, how did you come up with the idea? Why are you here? Just, you don't have to tell me your whole story. Just a little but, bit so I have some content. I was watching uh, one of my neighbor's children mm -hmm. uh, using Crayolas, and they started with pink, and uh -huh. they were going to blue, and they had to keep picking them up. Now, I've seen the type of pens that you have where you have the click device, yeah, the and, you can, yeah, and you can rotate it. Yep, yep. But I developed in my kitchen an ink uh, because I had a friend who knows a little bit about chemistry, which changes color. Wow. It's actually an illusion based on how the light falls on it. But... I thought that this might be, you know, possibly marketable to children. I don't know what to do, Nancy. Very cool. Wow. Uh, are you sure there's nothing like that in the market? Have you looked around? Have you gone on I Google? I went on the internet. Go, I, I go did to Google. Staples and all these places. There, there, are, there is ink that will uh, change color once it dries, mm -hmm. but not continuously like my ink will do, at least that I'm, I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. But I don't know who to trust and I don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple things you can do. Uh, first of all, the first thing I would advise you to do, which is all your free time, is if this is really as unique as it you say, uh, you may need to protect it with a patent. So, How do I do that? Well, it's very, it's very easy, actually. The first thing to do is you should start writing down um, everything you have discovered about this particular ink, everything you know about the materials. and stuff. So just put it in your words, put it on you know, white paper, whatever you like to write, doesn't matter. By the way, I'm, call, I'm going to call it the prism pen. Do you okay, like that yeah, idea? That's wonderful. Yeah. That's going to be my next question. You, know, okay. you, you should make a name up, you know, okay, yeah. but you will have to trademark that. But let's okay. just go with it. Do I have to get a lawyer? Well, first of all, you might want to Google it okay. and see whether or not it's out there um, because people may, or, or if it is, let's pretend it is, and you can make a, a little tag on it or something. But it's always good to have a name. It gives you some personality around right. your idea. Okay. So this is what I would like you to do maybe to get started. I think the most important thing is to start writing some things down because I don't think you've written this down yet, right? No, this is all in your I head kind of, right? I just have one piece of paper. Well, you've got one piece of paper. All right, that's a start. So you might want to organize even your paper, like what problem are you solving with the opportunity? And you told me a little bit about that. You watch children mm -hmm. and you think that this could actually be not so much a problem to solve, but a really cool new opportunity Fun. for them. Yeah. Fun for yeah. them. Yeah. So that's great. Uh, maybe write some of that down, what you think it's doing. Do a little work about the competition. Nancy, I've just got an idea. What? Can I share? There are some people, because of their, their, their cones, so their eyes yeah, see certain yeah, colors right. and they don't see other colors. Yeah. Do you think that my pen that uh, has ink that perpetually changes color, might have medical application? It, it just might. And so what you would want to do is before you go too far, you've got probably a lot of ideas of what this could be done. This could be done in a medical use, could be for fun. So this is where we have you just do brain dumps of all the things you think might be valuable, you know, why this might be a great thing. 
So before we even have patent lawyers and we start spending money, we want to just sort of test the idea of a pen that might work like this. So maybe you can do a little bit of chatting with your, your friends, your parents, kids. Next time you're at the doctor's office, or next time you're at the eye doctor, you just say, what do you think about this idea? You know, you don't have to disclose that you have a secret <laughs> or that you're going to file a patent. You just say, well, what do you think? Is there such a thing? You know, just play like, play like curious and learn. And start with some of that material. Let's assume everybody goes, does not exist, does not exist, sounds wonderful, terrific. Now you write all that down. This is where we could help put you in touch with uh, lawyers who can help you with a patent. But the beauty is you've written so much of it, they can help you really put down the details. But the more important thing before you get to the patent is, is, is there a market and idea out there for it? So that's how you should start. Okay, now I've got the patent. Uh, for those of just <laughs> just joining okay, us. Fast and, forward. Uh, fast forward a little bit. Okay. <laughs> we were role playing, okay? I want to assure people. Actually, I wish I did have a pen like really? that. Really? That would be awesome. Wouldn't it be a killer the yeah. business? The prison pen. But if you're listening to Watching America, which you is, okay, um, I'm with Nancy Gordon and we're role playing right now because she's an expert in how to become an entrepreneur. And I uh, propose the idea that we have a uh, the equivalent of a magic pen. I call it the prison pen, which changes color. So now you've advocated that. That I get a patent on it. What's my next step? Okay, we've done that. So mm -hmm. let's assume you got a provisional patent and you actually, ha no one's doing this. Yep. And let's pretend prison, prison pen is not taken. So you, you actually get a trademark on that name. So now you have to build your first set to see whether or not you can actually produce this. Uh, a prototype. You need a prototype or a minimum ah, viable okay. product. So you what, would need to make I, some Where pens. do I go to? I need a plastics expert? Yes. Or, okay. So fortunately, there are people in the community who can do a couple things. They can do 3D printing and do a, like a 3D printing version of this pen for you. There are people who could actually mix the chemicals. So, you, so we would put you in touch with some people who can help you do a minimum viable product. Hopefully, you can fund this out of your own pocket. Shouldn't be too much. We want to find out whether or not this pen works and what design this pen should have. So we would advise you do a couple of tests like that. And then let's pretend that, guess what? You got, you got this really cool prototype. Now we need to find two things. We need to help you find somebody who can manufacture them and help you think about how do you want to actually do this? Do you want to run this business? Do you want to be the CEO of Prison Pen Company mm -hmm. and, and create all the process and the supply chain and the manufacturing and be out there on the hustings, you know, selling your pen and working with the publicists, and do you want to do all that, or do you want to be the inventor of Prism Pen? And license it. And license it to the XYZ Corp that would love your pen, and they're going to pay you a royalty because you're an inventor. You're going to come up with something else. This is really important for you to think about because when you're raising money, and which you will need to do one or the other, uh, you need to think about your personal role and how you want to be a part of Prism Pen. Now, I'm going to interject. We go back to Shark Tank. I, I certainly hope our listeners are tracking this show. We're all over the place on this one. Okay. So, with my Prism Pen, that's not prison, that prism, prism. as in light coming through. Um, it's at this point that there, there, there's a, uh, an issue of like, okay, how much if I get investors do I give away? Do I give 20%, 30%, 15%? And Shark Tank, we see that exhibited over and over again, this negotiation. What's the rule, Nancy, or anything, an approximating a rule with this that you can think of? So the first point is, in that case, all these individuals are running their company. So they own a company and they're given a share to an investor. So that's back to my question to you. If you want to run a company then, and you want an investor, then there's a percent share. If you don't want to run a company, you want to license it, you say, look, I have the idea, I have data, I have customer discovery, I have a, I have a recipe for the pen. I'm not running a company. I'm going to license it and sell it. 
you don't need necessarily an investor. So that's why it's very important to think about. You may or you may not, depending on how much you, you build. But uh, the thing we always advise is don't start giving stuff away before too early. Shark Tank is such a myth. You know, it looks like yes. you, you go from zero to 100, yes. and you don't have to. There are steps in between. And very often it's advisable to increase the value of this prism pen that you just uh, created by selling some on your own with no investment. And then you go and raise money if you really want to run Prison Pen Inc. and do more and more and more of them, as opposed to selling up, you have a smaller valuation because you haven't had any sales, and then they take a bigger percent and your company isn't worth as much. Okay, so better to start slowly, but better to start slowly and spend steadily. Exactly. Okay. And spend your own money uh, as much as you can. And the other advice is get packaging. a customer. Packaging. How do you handle packaging, packaging in the early stage? Packaging is very important. So once again, you there are companies that can do prototyping of you. And the beauty of today's world is there are many, many freelancers. There's many, many opportunities. You yourself can design packaging if you want to do it. There are a lot of tools on the internet now that are really very good. Uh, or you can, again, find a partner to do this, but you basically test your, your packaging also. What's, you know, and then how many do you sell? Do you sell packs of one, mm-hmm. packs of two, packs of three? Do the pens outside come in colors? There's a lot of testing you have to do with some consumers. All of that can be done in a very ready, readily manner. What are the most common mistakes that people make, Nancy, in any venture as far as being an entrepreneur initially? There are uh, maybe a couple. One, one very common mistake is... I have this amazing idea, and everybody's going to want it. Mm. That's one of my favorites. I have witnessed, if you don't mind me saying this, many times, people who love things want to go into the business. Now, I, you know, I'm a Scot. Okay, I'm a Scotty daddy, English mummy. I love kilts. I love to wear kilts. I don't, I don't don them in the studio all the time, but on occasion, I like kilts. I love to be in a kilt shop. I was just in Edinburgh three days ago or four days ago looking at kilts. But I would not entertain the idea of starting a kilt business because just because you like something doesn't mean you're going to be successful at it. Mm -hmm. How many times have you witnessed that mistake? Quite a bit. And what's the remedy? Research. Okay. And customer discovery. That's that's a huge one. Uh, And I can't tell you how many inventors we say, let me tell you about my new blue pen. It does this, that, and the other, blah, 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 blah. Or more importantly, uh, an engineer or a scientist who is extremely um, sophisticated and skilled in their area and have a very hard time articulating what the value is, which is a, a second common problem. It's, it's such an amorphous description that you can't figure out what it is that the person is trying to do. So a common mistake is not being able to describe what it is, the value to the customer, and uh, why, why a customer would, would be interested in doing it. Uh, a third mistake is maybe the reverse of what I said earlier, which is thinking that um, you you can't that you're the only person who can do this. It's all about you. You can't take partners. You can't share the secret. You don't want investors. So nothing happens. Nothing happens. And as yeah. I tag it very often, 100% of zero is zero. Yes. Yeah. So that's you, a, you, is it fair to say you've got to be willing to lose to gain? You you, you do, and 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 it's the, like it's like a pie question. You, you know, you can have a hundred percent of of a pie, but if it's not growing, it's not valuable. You could have a bigger pie. Maybe you have two pieces out of it, but it's a bigger pie. Guess what? It's more valuable to you. So it, it's a it's an art, not a science. But being willing to bring in others, whether others are to help you sell it, market, or invest in it, and a lot of times people want to be a sole proprietor. They're either afraid. Uh, of sharing it, that they're not good enough, uh, or they're secretive, what you mentioned earlier, they're afraid somebody will take it, or they just think they can do it because you know what, I am really great and I can do everything. 
<laughs> now, let me ask you another question, because I, I've noted that there, there are people who just go from one idea, and I don't mean this in a disparaging bad way, like where they go jump from idea yeah. to idea without anything coming to fruition. I'm talking about people who have an idea, it comes to, to fruition, they sell the concept, the business, and they're really moving on, going to do it again. I mean, it just seems to build confidence. Um, have you witnessed this yourself? I have witnessed it. There are people who are actually, we call them serial entrepreneurs. Okay. And they do it over the course of a lifetime uh, where they start, doesn't even matter when they start. That's not even the germane point. The point is, is they build something, it creates value, they either sell it or move off of it, um, but they do another one and they do another one or they help somebody else do another one. And it, it's very common uh, practice. And, and, and you, will, you will have failures also, by the way, as serial entrepreneurs. You learn from a failure just like starting a business and growing it. Uh, but it is empowering. And very often you can take the proceeds from one and reinvest it in another. Uh, you can take the learning from one and reinvest it in another. So it, it does happen. But, but it, serial entrepreneurship can happen even in very small ways. Back to the, the woman you mentioned in, in her kitchen. You can, you can become a serial entrepreneur because you realize those little tiny things you're doing in your kitchen, you're learning confidence about how I can take my idea and, and build it. And first I'm gonna build cookies for the family and then I'm gonna sell them at the bake sale. And then everybody's telling me oh, how wonderful it is. Exactly, yeah. and then I'm gonna sell them in the store and then now they wanna put them on the internet and now Walmart wants to. You, you, these steps can build confidence and that is just as much of a serial entrepreneur as somebody who's built companies and sells them and moves on to the next one. One of the burning issues I've wanted to ask you is how do you handle failure? Because failure is out there. Failure is out there. And sometimes people, of course, won't take the step because they're f uh, afraid of failure. Uh, but as we say, you can name almost any entrepreneur and there's, there are versions of failure. And the, the key is learning from the failures. What, what happened that didn't happen the way you wanted it to or gave you a, a result that you didn't expect? And so having the ability to step back and analyze that failure, uh, to take it as not personal, mm -hmm. uh, but to take it as a learning and a change direction uh, is very important, uh, but it will, it will happen. And some people are more tolerant of that. Uh, some environments are more tolerant of that. And again, that goes for whether you're a sole entrepreneur or whether, again, you're an entrepreneur in an organization and whether you fail. So failure in establishing a business can happen two ways. One is a total wipeout and it just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the wrong location, whatever it may mm -hmm. be, or uh, bad marketing, or mm -hmm. etc. But isn't failure almost mandatory? along the way to any successful business. I mean, you, it, isn't it at times, you know, two steps forwards, one back, two steps forwards, one back? I mean, one should anticipate that, shouldn't they? Mm -hmm. you, you should anticipate that. I, I don't necessarily call that failure. That's process. Right. Uh, process okay. of, you know, you, you learn by doing. And yes, you can have one forward, two forward, one so back. It's working your way through the maze, coming to way. a dead end, and then you back up and you start again. And, and the other thing, sometimes people think they failed, but what it is, is it's a market timing. The market's not ready for your idea. And I have personally seen that happen. You have an amazing idea and th there's a very small adoption because we're not yet ready. It's not ready for prime time, classic, classic language. Right. Don't forget the idea, park it. <laughs> so not all failures are failures of flaws in design, uh, financials, you know, all those kinds of things. It just may be a, a, market, a market question or a location. So um, sometimes again, the, the ability to step back and save it, you know, are, are, are extremely important. Nancy, why you've been with us, there have been a f some ardent individuals leaning closer and closer, either into their earbuds or into the speaker of their car. To them, 
what is the last singular thing that you'd like to say, at least on this visit, because I'm telling you now you're coming back again. Okay. <laughs> so what is the singular thing that you'd like to, to give them as advice, whether they're not sure should they execute their plan or hold back? What is that kernel of gold that you want to share with them? I have one thing I say all the time, and that is entrepreneurship is for everyone. You can solve small things in your life. You can solve big things in your life. Everybody can do this. Nancy Gurdon, thank you so much for being with us. You are a generous, kind, positive, encouraging spirit, and I am glad to know you. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and vice versa. Watching America is made possible by the kind and thoughtful contributions of listeners like you. Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Many thanks to our sound engineer, Todd Washburn, our producer extraordinaire, Paul Bebo, senior producer and recording genius, editor, Gina Gamboni, executive producer, Chuck Dowd, chief of content, Heather Mazzoni, and CEO, Bert Schmidt. I am watching America's creator and host, Alan Campbell. Until next time, take care and blessings. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.